Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. And welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. We thank you all for joining us this evening, or if you're listening to us the next day on your favorite podcast devices as well, too. We are roughly 24 hours away from kickoff of the NFL season. We've got a jump start to college football and a whole lot more to talk about today. It is DJ, joined as always by my co-host, Kelsey. And Kelsey, we finally made it. We've been talking about it for months, weeks, feels like years, even though it hasn't quite been years. The NFL season's about to kick off in 24 hours from when we record this. We got two Super Bowl favorites going head to head. We gave our predictions last weekend. We got neither one of we got one of the one of us has one of those teams in there, but it finally all kicks off and gets started tomorrow. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Obviously, the kickoff. Uh, it couldn't be a better game either. You look at Bills Rams. I mean, that's mm-hmm. going to be a fun one uh, in LA and 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 get to get to see basically what should be a track meet uh, mm-hmm. on on game one, and that's going to be really exciting. And I, I do think there's going to be a lot of fireworks, obviously, to be had not just this this week, but like tomorrow, but also this weekend. As much like what we saw in the college football kickoff in week zero and week one, tons of fireworks to be had there. It was absolutely exciting to watch that as well. I mean, this is like this is this is Christmas, man. This is this is great times. We're getting into we're getting into the uh, the playoffs for baseball as well. Obviously, I'm wearing a Cleveland Guardians hat. Cleveland Guardians still have a chance at the playoffs, people, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen. It's worth stopping the presses right now to mention this. The Cleveland Guardians, no longer the Cleveland Indians, have a chance to make the playoffs. For the first time in Guardians history, who would have thought? Yeah, for the first time in Guardians history. There you go. But yeah, no, it's a very entertaining time of year, and it's, it is one of the better times, um, obviously, with football, college football, NFL football, um, you know, MLB playoffs. The best time of MLB, MLB season is the playoffs, the rundown to the playoffs. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun the next couple of weeks. Absolutely. And you know what? That's we're gonna get to all of that and a lot more. And that we're gonna first thing start things off with the tip off. The tip off, of course, brought to you by our good friends over at Dr. Squatch. Click on the link in our bio, head over to the website, find all the wonderful scents for you or that special someone in your life, all the wonderful soap feel without all the harsh chemicals on your skin. And we we have a lot to get to, but I think we should wrap up kind of what we already started last week. We've gone through div- team by team, division by division, records for everybody. The one thing we didn't get a chance to because we were so busy spewing a combination of blasphemy and what the heck is this with our Super Bowl predictions, we didn't get a chance to get to our awards, what we're thinking as far as regular season awards will go as well too. So today we're going to talk about our predictions for the NFL awards 24 hours before the season kicks off. And you know what, Kelsey, we're just going to go back and forth down the order. I'm going to go ahead and start at the bottom. I'm going to let you go first. Go and give me who you think is going to be the coach of the year. We're going to start with the least amount of pads and work our way up. 
Yeah, so least amount of pads, although this guy does look like he could wear quite a few uh, pads and still and, and be out there playing. I do think, oh, Robert Sala for the New York Jets, I do think he's going to have himself quite a year coaching. I think the Jets, I, I obviously, I, I, if you guys heard my predictions for the AFC East, the Jets weren't in any, any bad situations. But I think he shows like exactly why the Jets brought him in this season. Still probably a draft away from completing that team. But you know what? He's going to show that they're, they're almost ready, and then they'll be led by the Cougar Hunter himself and Zach Wilson. But I think Robert Sala can keep that team under control. And that defense, man, that defense is going to be exciting this year. And I think Robert Sala is a big reason for that. My one question for you on that is it looks like they're going to be rolling with Joe Flacco for the first four weeks of the year, it looks like, while Zach Wilson recovers. How do you think they do during that stretch, and do you think how they do during that stretch could play a part in it? You know what? I do think it, it'll, it will play a part in it at the end of the season. Um, it sucks because when I made my prediction, Zach Wilson was healthy. Uh, not not injured at all. So that does hamper my prediction a little bit. But I do think if he can get Joe Flacco to perform at least admirably, look, if you get Brees Hall, you get Michael Carter, those two running backs are fantastic still. You don't need a whole lot of Joe Flacco. You just need game manager Joe Flacco. So I do think if he can get game manager Joe Flacco, not I am just got signed this huge contract. Let me throw it up all the time, Joe, Joe Flacco. I think he'll be fine, and, and he can still win that coach of the year. But I do think it will be impacted especially if he has a 4-0 start with Joe Flacco and then Zach Wilson comes back and leads him even better, or an 0-4 start and then he flips it around when Zach Wilson comes back. Those both could lead to a coach of the year as well. And, of course, in fitting fashion, it's going to be Flacco for four weeks. And who they played during those four weeks? The AFC North, all four games in a row, too. Yeah. So it's some elite Joe Flacco is awfully familiar with those as well, too. So that'll be, a fun, that'll be fun to see how that plays out. But I like it. Robert saw a nice pick out of left field. I don't think a lot of people are expecting. So that should definitely be a good one. Let's move on up now. We're going to go with defense. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What? You didn't give your coach of the year. No, I'm going to let you go all the way through, then I'm going to go all the oh, way Oh, okay, 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 okay. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, we're going to let you get rolling as well, too. I, I like I like the groove here. And so we're going to go defensive rookie of the year. Go and tell me who you think is going to stand out as a defensive player this year as a rookie. Yeah, so again, if you guys listen to any of my predictions, I kind of uh, 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 led on to this one when I talked to AFC West. Uh, this guy's going to help this de- this team turn around its defense that is woeful in the pass rush, well, outside of Chris Jones, but George Karloftis. It's who I have, Defensive Rookie of the Year. He's going to come on midseason and just absolutely outperform everybody. I've said it from before the draft, and I'll keep saying it. The only reason he was the third edge rusher listed is because the other two are freaks of nature. They shot up draft boards. This man is pro-ready. He, is hand, he, can, he has the strength. He has the moves. He has the technical ability to handle any offensive line and any schemes thrown at him. And I think you're going to see a lot of that this season. And you're going to see a very polished edge rusher, even though he's a rookie. And I think George Karloftis will lead the defensive rookie of the year conversation. So you got as an edge rusher, you got him over Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, Jermaine Johnson, words. on Thibodeau. Yeah. You got, <laughs> I, right. I, look, George Karloftis to me was the number three edge, and the only reason he was number three is because Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson can drop into the pass game. George Karloftis is a defensive end, period. <laughs> he is not a edge in the modern edge <laughs> term. He is a defensive end. You could honestly slide him to defensive tackle, and you'd feel pretty good about him there as well. And, you know, he can rush the passer. He can do it in the rundowns as well. But I think purely speaking, he is always going to be a down lineman. And that's what separates him from those two guys is that, like, he won't go into pass coverage. You can drop him there, and it's kind of like a full full me technique. They did it at Purdue. He looked lost. So I don't like that option if they do it to him. I, I do think his best option is coming in and, and being a pass rusher. But, yeah, I think I – think, I, I mean, I still say he was still the third best edge rusher in that class and I think the best overall defensive end in that class. Okay, all right. There, you know what the Chiefs are going to need it with how loaded that division is now, too, and all the firepower in there. They're going to need all the help they can get. So 
All right, George Carl Loftus, the splash of defensive rookie of the year. Heading over to yeah. offensive rookie there. This is where I'm curious because I feel like there's a lot of options for this one, but none of them are really quarterbacks off the, at least that's something that you look at since there will be no rookie quarterback starting week, week one for the first time in 20 years or whatever it was. It's been a long time is the point. So I'm curious to see what you have in mind for this one. So tell me who you got for offensive rookie of the year. Offensive rookie of the year. I, I was torn between two guys um, and I was torn between Brees Hall and Chris Olave in this one. And it's funny. I'm torn between Chris Olave because if anybody heard my saints conversation, you would think that the Saints aren't going to do well, uh, which is why I'm going Brees Hall. I do think Brees Hall is my pick for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Again, he's set up in a situation I mentioned just a minute ago with Robert Sala that he has Michael Carter in the backfield. So you might lose some early touches to Michael Carter, but if Brees Hall can start get, see himself getting on a roll week three, week four, as, as Zach Wilson's starting to get worked back into this offense, he can start carrying a bulk of these carries and be, by the end of the season, a 200-touch guy averaging, you know, get, sitting over 1,200 yards potentially. Like I, if he does that as a rookie, I mean, absolutely just hmm. sign pen to paper for the next five years and he's going to be a top 10 back in the league. And I think, I think he shows everything, everything he did at Iowa state fits perfectly in what the jets need. And that's why I think this is a situation where he can succeed from day one. And I think he'll get a lot of work in the passing game as well, too, just with those check down options for Zach Wilson and Joe Flacco as well, too. His versatility is going to be really key. I think in a lot of that almost kind of like we saw Najee Harris last year, if it's not to that same extent, the ability yeah. to be versatile. So, all right, just making a splash with the Jets here now, double dipping at New York. I know, Where man. I guess this is, it's wild. We'll see if they take off this year as well, too. So, moving on now, we got defensive player of the year as well, too. Now we're heading into the quote unquote big boys. Who do you have taken the defensive player of the year award this year? Uh, you might want to take away my Cowboys card on this one because I think <laughs> I'm going to get full on blasted by uh, people for picking an Eagle. Uh, but I, I mean, this is Eagle is a guy I've loved since he was in Detroit. That's Darius Slay. Uh, he showed absolutely how good of a cornerback he can be last year. And, you know, we always have corners in every so often, just like they have a great year. And then they, the next year they just absolutely shut down. And the reason why they become absolutely shut down is they add a second corner so that that way the limits, even the opportunities they can throw at Darius Slay. And this is what they did. They added James, Brad, James Bradbury. Like, so you have James Bradbury and Darius Slay on the same, on, on the same defense here at corner. And now, you're, are you who are you going to choose? Like, are you going to choose throwing at Darius Slay, who absolutely dominated offensives last year, or are you going to throw at James Bradbury, who has a little bit more age in the wheels, if you will, not much age, but a little bit more age in the wheels? I mean, I'm not going to throw at either one personally, but I, I mean, obviously, if I have to choose, I'm choosing James Bradbury, which is going to make Darius Slay's like passes against, completions against, all these things look absolutely phenomenal when it's like one or two catches a game that he gives up, if that for like five yards. You know, these situations, and, and I think that's what's going to lead him to a defensive player of the year situation. So I got two questions off of that one as well, too. The last time we saw a corner get defense player of the year was Stephon Gilmore a few years ago, not too long ago. But he also led the league in picks because he still got the opportunities. Do you think Darius Slate will get the picks to make that happen, or do you think it's going to be a non-Biosmo situation when he was with the Raiders? They're just like, nah, not even going to try it. We're just going to stay away from there altogether. I think his picks are going to be like league average. I don't think he's going to go maybe slightly above league average. I don't think it's going to be anything crazy. I don't think we're going to see like 9, 10, 11, 12. We might see 7, 8. I just don't think we're going to see much more. He does he does drop sometimes to center field in the in their in their cover 3, so that could help him out with these pick situations. Uh, but I do think it's going to be more the Nandi Asamoah situation where he's just so dominant. I mean, Darius, look, Darius Slay has been working his craft since against Megatron and now he's doing against some of the best receivers in the game. So young receivers in the game as well. So, I mean, like, I know he has the skills. I know it's just a matter of time before everybody else recognizes that. And I'm kind of getting, jumping early on the ball with this one and being like, he's deserving of it right now. 
like he deserved it honestly probably deserved it a little bit more than than some of the conversations last year about you know whoever would win that one but uh, i do think this year darius slay that's my option so you're also thinking he's probably even if he doesn't have quite as many numbers to back it up, you think it's going to be performances, almost like 2007 Darrell Revis, where he didn't have huge numbers, but every t- time we saw him in prime time against an elite receiver, he eliminated them. So you think this Look, could I, be a lot I, of the situation? I have the, I have the Eagles going to play. You have the Eagles doing well this season. I think it's the situation where if they're if they're doing well, and everybody sees that they're doing well, and then they see like, oh wow, they're just not throwing at Darius Slay. I think that's going to be a situation where everybody kind of realizes like, oh yeah, he is that dude. Like. I feel like Darius Slay has been kind of slighted his whole career. Detroit to Philadelphia to not like not a great situation in Philadelphia either, but he's still been playing fantastic there. And, you know, like everybody's kind of just been doubting him his entire career. I think this is the time, like, you're going to have a bunch of primetime games. It's time to put up or shut up, and I think he's ready to put up, and it's going to be very fun to watch. And, and again, I'm, you might want to take my Cowboys card after all that love I just gave some gave an eagle. But, yeah, I think at this point in time, it's, it's Darius Slayer bust right now. All right, I like it. And he's got some good matchups with CeeDee Lamb and Terry McLaurin in squad twice a year to definitely make his point. So yeah. defensive player of the year going with Detroit. So we got a lot of green so far in your prediction so far. Let's take ourselves now to offensive player of the year. Who are we looking at to stand out offensively? Guys, yeah, I thought I'd switch it up a little bit. I'll go with a little bit of blue in the in the in the color scheme here. I go going real crazy away from away from green. Uh, I'm going with Jonathan Taylor with the offensive player of the year. I do not think he has the same level of production he did last year where he is beating every other running back by 600-plus yards. I don't think it's going to be that crazy, but I do think he gets still an insane amount of touches. I think he's still going to have an insane amount of yards. Maybe he doesn't finish halfback one, but he's going to have more touchdowns. I do think he also is getting better involved in the passing game, and we already know Matt Ryan loves a great running back. When he's had a great running back in the past, he will just involve him in everything. I mean, whether it's a passing game, it's the run game. And that's the thing. Matt Ryan's like his best running back in the last couple of years was Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. He had that running back backfield. I mean, look what they did together. Uh, so, you know, added Jonathan Taylor into that mix for, for, for Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan's going to have a whole plethora of weapons to throw to. And there's not a lot of weapons outside that are going to really take away his touches in the passing game either. I mean, you have Naeem Hines. You have Michael Pittman, sure. But Alec Pierce, maybe. We'll have to see if he, if he evolves. Uh, but, like, you know, you get minimal touches from Mo Ali Cox, minimal touches for any other receiver. So, Naeem Hines, Jonathan Taylor. I think Jonathan Taylor opens up his, his – the next level of his game is going to be that pass reception game. I think he opens that door this season with Matt Ryan. So, he's going to not only run over you in the battle of the backfield, he's going to run over you after he catches a ball out of the backfield. And he gets you good luck at that point in time. And if, if he catches the ball in space, I'm sorry, nobody's touching him. The, day, the guy is so fast, so quick, and he like he he jogs away from people at this point in time. He doesn't just sprint away from people. He jogs away from people. So, yeah, I think I think Jonathan Taylor has all the ability, barring injury, to be offensive player of the year. Yeah, we saw that against the Ravens. He first play the first third down. He catches the screen and goes seventy six yards untouched. Not because the blocking was out of league. He just ran straight by everybody. So. Yeah, he's just fast. He's just faster mm-hmm. than everybody else. And on top of that, too, you could make a case he would have been offensive player of the year last year if Cooper Cup didn't have a historic all-time receiving season on top of it as well, too. So definitely yep. here to see if he can bounce, if he can do it back to back. So now it takes us to the big one. I'm not going to call it the granddaddy of them all, but it's it's the big one here as well, too. The most coveted regular season award, the MVP award. Who do you got taking this one? I should say which quarterback do you have taken it since it's virtually a quarterback award these days. Yeah, if you guys follow along with any of my predictions, again, you probably heard a little bit of sneak preview on this one, um, especially AFC West or the playoff conversation. And he hails from L.A., and he hails from the other team in L.A. that that didn't go to the Super Bowl last year. 
that's the LA Chargers, and that's you know Sunshine Surfer Boy, whatever you want to call him, Justin Herbert. He is going to be MVP this year. He showed flashes of it last year just to get that team in the conversation for a playoff game. I mean, just the the fight he put against the Raiders just to try to get them into the playoffs is a microcosm of what we're going to see. And we watched him in person last year in Cincinnati, and it was just like there were things he yeah. did with his arm that were just that's that's talent. That's MVP level talent. That's talent that you don't just see and and don't and aren't in awe of you know like this is one of those situations you watching him and it's, whether it's on tape or in person he's different like he, he the, the the cliche he's built different. he is built different the things he can do with a ball on a line very Aaron Rodgers-esque as far as the way he can throw a deep ball on a line um still I, I think Aaron Rodgers still probably holds that title of best on a line deep ball Justin Herbert's not far behind though <laughs> I mean we're, we're not talking very much like we're, we're we're splitting hairs at this point in time and and as their careers continue it'll, it'll keep getting closer and I think this year Justin Justin Herbert has all the weapons. Look, Austin Eckler out of the backfield, whether he's catching or running the ball, is a weapon. Donald Parham to go along with Jared Cook, a weapons. Uh, you know, you have Mike Williams, who is just is again, I think it's gonna supplant Keenan Allen as number one. Weapons. Uh you, you know, everything is set up for Justin Herbert this year in a very packed AFC West to 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 make a lot of people take notice. And I think this is gonna be his year for sure. All right, I like it. So you got him finally breaking through in a big way as well, too. And it definitely helps since you have him as the number one seed overall and in the AFC as well, too. Yeah. So I guess my other question for you is, do you think that the defense being what we expect to be a lot better, do you think that helps him because he gets more opportunities or hurts him because he's not going to get as many chances to shine if they start blowing people out? I think it helps him in a weird way. It's going to be a situation where he doesn't have to try so hard every single drive. Like I think this that's a part for a young quarterback that we see in evolution is that moment they don't have to be like every single drive balls of the wall. Like when they can ha- take a drive and like methodically work that drive and not have to try to score just to keep up with the other team, I think is is a big advantage. And I think with all the additions they've made, I think it's going to help them in that situation where, yeah, if he makes a mistake, okay, his defense is going to back him up. Like we know there's there's talent on that defense to back him up. Last year you didn't know that, so he was like always pushing but at the same time if he made a mistake he was he kind of was like oh crap like there's no coming back. like i have to i have to keep firing it up and, and there's no coming back from that one whereas now if he makes a mistake there's a defense to back him up in this situation all right i like it as well so go and give us a quick rundown of all of your nfl award winner predictions yeah so we're gonna start with bottom working up coach of the year robert sala then we're gonna go defensive rookie of the year george carlactis offensive rookie of the year Brees hall defensive player of the year darius slay offensive player of the year jonathan taylor and the mvp going to Justin Herbert. All right. I like it as well, too. A nice little balance there as well. I'm going to go ahead and jump into mine now as well, too. For coach of the year, I'm going to pick off pretty much in a very similar spot to where you left off. I'm going with Brandon Staley as the coach of the year. I think they're, I have them as the number one seed as well. I think they're as a team, they're going to be – I think Justin Herbert's not going to be quite as ridiculous, but as a team, it's going to be like, good luck, everybody else. It's going to be – if he has a slightly off day, they're not going to lose by 30. That defense can pick it up. And I think Brandon Staley is going to be a little bit less reckless than he was last year, going for on fourth and eight at your 20-yard line. I think he's going to make true coaching moves that balance analytics and common sense, if that makes sense. I think it's going to – they're just going to take off, and I think he's going to get it for that reason. Number one seed and smarter coaching this year. So give me Brandon Staley for this year's Coach of the Year. I know I had him last year, but I'm, I'm doubling down. I think this is the year it happens. Do you feel that like almost any coach that makes it out of the AFC West, do you think they have an opportunity for Coach of the Year? Like whichever team, whichever coach makes it as the number one seed. 
I think if you're the number one or number two seed, you're always in the conversation, barring an absolutely incredible turnaround or something like that, like we saw from the Niners a couple of years ago or even the Bengals last year. Like, barring an incredible turnaround like that, I think the number one or two seeds are always in it. So I do agree. Whoever wins that AFC West has a really good shot. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of what I felt like, you know, looking at it. So that's why, you know, Brandon Staley is a really good pick for me. So. Yeah, absolutely. So now as I look down here, for Defensive Rookie of the Year, I don't think he's the best defender in the class. I don't even think he's necessarily one of the top five defenders. But I think this year he's going to be put in an incredible position to succeed. I'm going to go with Kyle Hamilton, the safety for the Ravens. I think he is a really good player who can do a lot of things really well, but there's a lot of things you can't have him do. But I think with the Ravens, you can't ask for a better fit. They're going to use him in outstanding situations to just be 80% of Derwin James, basically, what he was as a rookie, where you can use him in a lot of different ways. You just can't use him in every way. You could put him in the box, and that's where he'll thrive. He just, you can't ask him to play center field. You can maybe put him with a tight end or maybe a running back in space, but you can't put him on a receiver. I think they're going to put him in position to, to succeed and just make some flash plays that stand out. And I think all the edge rushers, in my opinion, are going to be kind of congruent. I don't think anyone's going to explode out of the gate. So I think Kyle Hamilton almost by default is going to get that nod just because he's going to stand out amongst the non-edge rushers. So give me Kyle Hamilton for defensive rookie of the year. I like that. And, you know, you mentioned like the most, like most Ravens pick probably when they add in this draft, like mm-hmm. just fitting a need and fitting it well with the best player available. I don't think they could have asked for a better gift than Kyle Hamilton falling to him. And that's assuming everyone stays healthy. We know how badly the Ravens were decimated by injuries last year. So if they stay healthy, he couldn't have been put in a better secondary or team to utilize his skill set and not put him in spots to lose. If that makes sense. Yeah. There's plenty of other people who grab him and stick him in the war. They put him like man to man with Travis Kelsey, but like, go save us. He'd be like, what the hell is this? Like that's where that's where you get him killed, or they'd have him play center yeah. field in a cover three or a cover one. That's where you get him crushed. So I think you kind of, I'll say you kind of just answered it. But like I, my my question is, do you do you see you'll see him more in the box this year then than instead of out like basically playing center field or playing top third? I think he'll. I don't think we'll ever see him playing the middle third really because that's where he gets kind of stuck. He has good range. He's just not like elite speed and that, that sort of thing too. He has good range once he gets going, but he. I think he could play one of the two high safeties over the top of like Marlon Humphrey, where Marlon Humphrey is going to play good underneath coverage. But I just think he's going to be used as a versatile weapon, similar to what Derwin James was just without the extra Derwin James factor. Like he was as a rookie, like as the safeties are very, that's a rare safety that like you can't yeah. comparing him comparing that's just asinine, but I think it'll be a similar type of rookie impact. Moving on to offensive rookie of the year. Well, if you heard my Saints commentary, this one makes sense. I'm going with Chris Olave. I think he's going to complete that true receiver trio with him, Jarvis Landry, and now healthy can't guard Mike Thomas slant. And I think that all three of them together are going to form a, all three of them have the ability to just get open with a snap of a finger. And I think that's going to make Jameis Winston that offense's job super easy considering. And I think Jameis has the ability to actually throw the ball. unlike the Trevor Simeon Taysom Hill fiasco they had last year. I think Olave is going to benefit off that as he could be the big play down the field guy of those as well too, especially if Mike Thomas continues to, be the health, what he was as a healthy Mike Thomas. Olave's going to get behind people and he's going to remind them just how good he really, he really was. He got a little, hot, little overshadowed this last year at Ohio State with Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba and squad. I think Olave in the NFL is going to have a nice little coming out party though. So give me Chris Olave as offensive rookie of the year. And he arguably is in the best position to do that compared to the receivers who got a worse quarterback or just another, just another guy on the depth chart as well, too. So give me, give me Chris Olave to break out this year. Yeah, and you just kind of mentioned, it, but uh, do you think he's the best positioned receiver that came out early for 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 success, or do you think maybe somebody like a Sky Moore or, or you know Christian Watt, Christian Watson can can maybe supplant him as 
kind of best positioned to be that guy. I think in Green Bay with him, Romeo Dobbs, Samari Toure, like there's just a there's that's going to be very much spreading the wealth with a little bit limited amount to eat, but for one guy to eat and really stand out. And Sky Moore, kind of the same thing. That Kansas City offense is going to run through Travis Kelsey first, and then Mikael Hardman down the field, Juju. So Sky Moore will get some, he'll get some options. But I think Chris Olave gets that nice mix of pretty good team, but not just another one of the caught one another cogs on the horse. He has a chance to really stand out and make some big plays. And that division, the secondaries outside of the Saints aren't that elite. Tampa Bay secondary has some holes. The Falcons, as minus AJ Terrell, are a mess. And then on top of that, too, the Panthers have some pieces, but we'll we'll see how they come together this year so yeah they gotta grow they have to grow they have to grow their youth we'll we'll definitely see what comes out defensive player of the year this one is the guy who arguably could have won it last year if he just played like one or more games as well too i'm going with darius shaquille leonard i think he's going to continue being the turnover king it looks like from what they say he's gonna he might miss week one but he should be good to go after that he's like week one's literally a coin flip at this point how close it is I think he's going to continue getting the turnovers. I think this year with Stephon Gilmore and a more a defense that can act that doesn't just play cover two and back off zone every time, it's going to give him some opportunities to blitz again, like we saw early in his career. So I think he's going to get a few more sacks to go along with all those turnovers. And I think the defense as a whole is just going to give him more opportunities to get takeaways. And I don't think we're going to see a TJ Watt 22 sacks again, like we saw last year as well. And I think the Colts, we both had them being a lot better this year and securing a playoff spot, which I think will help. I think last year being a basically 500 team the whole year definitely hurted the voting. And then TJ Watt with his five sacks against the Browns in week 17 to basically put him at 21, 22 at that point kind of sealed it. So give me Shaquille Leonard breaking through and getting that defensive player of the year this year as the turnover King and even adding some sacks into the mix. Okay. So turnover as the turnover King. And I want to, I want to ask you about that Uh, obviously causing because of forced fumbles or because of fumbles and picks, or what do you think? Kind of like it was last year, like force fumbles will be the main thing, but he will get some picks. He'll still have like three to five picks like he did last year. And I think he'll even get about five or so set five to seven sacks along with it this year as well, too, because it's kind of what we did early in his year career before the peanut punch developed into this thing when they used him a lot more as an edge rusher. Sometimes it, one year he had five sacks and five picks and as well, too. So I think this year we'll see a round at almost like seven, seven and seven or something ridiculous like that as well. too. So. Have have we ever seen a guy that can peanut punch as well as Darius Leonard in the NFL? Besides Charles Peanut Tillman, probably not. And he might even he might be getting close to that point too. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I, I always forget about <laughs> Charles Tillman, but yeah, no, that's a. I mean, yeah, I just haven't seen it. Like it just it's almost like you said a weapon. That's, I mean, break break glass if need if needed, and then you know Shaquille Leonard is like, okay, I got you now. The one yeah, thing that's still weird, getting used he to calling him initial tackler a lot too. Like we saw yeah. Charles would do it as like the help the secondary guy. Darius instigates the as the initial tackle, punching and then grabbing with the other arm. Sometimes it gets him ran over against a Derrick Henry, but he he initiates the first contact with that punch, which is what's unique. He obviously punches it out as the help tackler, but he also initiates it as well too. Like that's his first move every time, which is what mm-hmm. makes it weirdly unique how it is still effective even in that situation where it's a terrible idea, but he makes it work either yeah. way. Offensive player of the year. I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Justin Jefferson, despite the Kirk Cousins uh, questions and all that, I think he's going to explode. He's He has the offense coordinator O'Connell that came from the Rams. I think he's going to use a lot of those same tools that got Cooper Cup loose with a Justin Jefferson. And honestly, this offense is going to go as Justin Jefferson goes. Adam Thielen's nice. KJ Osborne's nice. Jalen Rager has some speed. Dalvin Cook's nice. They have weapons, but I think it's all going to go through Justin Jefferson. I think he's going to be the leading receiver this year. Not quite a Cooper Cup triple crown like we saw last year. We saw Justin Jefferson was keeping pace with him throughout the year in yards. 
I think this year, maybe the yards will stay about the same, but the touchdowns will go up. So give me Justin Jefferson to have a nice breakthrough for offensive player of the year, in spite of, as you say, the Kirk Cousins transgressions. You know what? Yeah, I don't think I could have, I don't think I could have explained that one better for why Justin Jefferson could possibly be there. So I, I respect that. I respect your decision. It'll be quick and easy. And for MVP, you know, I, I promised chaos this year with my Super Bowl picks and all of that as well, too. I'm going to keep a little bit of chaos going with the MVP. For the first time in, I honestly think since Chris Johnson won it when he was CJ2K back in like 2008, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if it was him. Maybe it wasn't. But we're going to pick an MVP. Maybe it was 2009. My memory's getting a little bit foggy. We're going back like almost, we're going back north of 10 years now. But we're going, we're going with the, the MVP on a team that wasn't a number one or two seed. We're going to go with a wild card team for an MVP. I'm going with Joe Burrow. I think he's going to come out with this new, newly built offensive line. And while they should run the ball a little bit more with Joe Mixon now that they can do that, I think there's going to be some times where they get a little pass happy with Joe Burrow. And I think he's going to be in a position to put up a lot of stats. I could see him flirting with some of those Peyton Manning record numbers, especially the yards because of the extra game too, primarily. And I'm mostly looking at yards. Touchdowns, I think he'll be in that 45-ish range, somewhere in there, 45, 46. Interceptions will still probably be about that 10 to 13, 14 marks because Joe Burrow is going to Joe Burrow. And sometimes that for better and for worse. And I just think that offensive line is going to give him more time to, he's not running for his life and just chucking it up as much. I don't think he'll have to electric slide through the pocket nearly as much. So I think his ability to do that is going to give him more opportunities for those down the field shots, like less dangerous down the field shots, I should say. Less dangerous T. Higgins up there somewhere, Jamar Chase out there somewhere. It'll be, oh, Jamar Chase is breaking away. Here we go. And I think that's going to, I think he's going to eclipse 5,000 yards, maybe even get close to that Peyton Manning number, 52, 5,300-ish even, looking for about 45 to 49 touchdowns somewhere in there. And because they're going to be in the wild card race, he's going to play all 17 games if he stays healthy, where last year they sat him in that final week as well too. And we saw in a two-week span down the stretch, his last two or so games, he had 1,000 yards in two games. When they need it, he will get it. He, he will go out and find it for them. And now he won't be running for his life. The where it will get him in trouble is, I think like against the Ravens and those good secondaries, they will forget they have Joe Mixon sometimes as a running back and maybe utilize that offensive line, Joe Burrow, too much. But it'll let Burrow stuff the stat sheet, and I think he's going to make a case for MVP. Okay, and I, I believe the uh, the last one was actually um, Aaron Rodgers two years ago. Two years ago, they, because won 13, they won 13 games two years ago and were top two seed. The, the three seed. Two years I ago, believe. I believe. Hold on. I might be wrong on that, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking back and I think maybe either that one or Adrian Peterson with the Adrian Peterson would be the one that makes sense. Cause they missed yeah, it. By, yeah. They got in as a wild card. Cause he was six yards short of the record, but yep. that makes sense. But either way, my point is it's been a long time. It's been the number one or two seed, basically the majority of the last yeah. 10 years or so. And I think Joe Burrow is going to eclipse that this year as well too. So just recapping my awards really quickly here, coach of the year, give me the Brandon Staley and the Chargers as they have a breakthrough season. Defensive rookie of the year, give me Kyle Hamilton, a perfect position to exemplify his skill set and not put him in a position to fail. Offensive rookie of the year, give me Chris Olave, arguably one of the better situations that's not already loaded with weapons. Look for him to kind of explode and make his mark. Defensive player of the year, Shaquille Leonard, turnover king, just stays healthy this year and gets even more turnovers and more sacks. Offensive player of the year, Justin Jefferson. The offense is going to run through him, and I think they're going to put up, they're going to have a lot of fun. MVP, Joe Burrow, flirting with a few of those passing yards records, having an outstanding season as well, too, and the first non-division winner to win the MVP in quite a while as well. So that's what I have for 
NFL awards. And if we even get any one of these, right, I'm going to be pretty happy with that as well. Because we've gotten pretty close the last couple of years. But so I'm yeah. hoping that one of these ones will hit. Yeah, we got to get one eventually, right? Like you can't can't be can't be wrong all the time. We we got the pickums pretty pretty well down, but the the awards are getting close. I should have got my Tom Brady one right last year, but I digress. I will let that one go. That's fair. That's fair. All right, so that will do it for our tip off, finishing off our NFL preseason predictions as well. Too next time we talk NFL on the show, it will be live. So heading into the main event presented by In the Clutch Apparel, click that link in our bio, find yourself some nice sports gear. Use code Hilo Sports. Get yourself, I think, it's fifteen percent off as well too. Find some high-quality sports gear that you won't find anywhere else. So, Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Not only is the NFL weekend about the NFL season about to get rolling, college football has already gotten rolling. And week one, uh, I think started off with a bang is a cliche, but I think it hits it right on the head. Yeah, this has been an absolutely fantastic kickoff to to college football season. Uh, look, there, there were some blowouts. Like we we can't deny any of that. There were some. There's the obvious blowouts, but man, there were some incredible games. You look at West Virginia Pitt, thirty eight, thirty one. That one's down to the wire. Uh, you know, you have like NC State East Carolina, and it's a missed extra point by East Carolina that NC State holds on holds on to win. Um, you know, let's not even forget the actual the, the capper of the weekend in LSU FSU. That one was just wow. And I kind of want to start there and, and 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 talk about FSU for a second because this is a team that I, I mean nobody really thought highly of coming into this one. And you have on the other side Brian Kelly coming into LSU. They're a top twenty-five team. They look great. They have the number one receiving prospect in Pooty. You know. They have all this stuff going. They have that Jaden Daniels transferring from Arizona State. All these things going for LSU. Booty doesn't catch more than two passes in the game. Jaden not- Daniels is scrambling for his life during the entire game. Florida State just looks smooth for, 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 for a lot of this game. And that was shocking, to say the least. Uh, I, I think like just watching the game, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I, I mean, watching FSU play this game and it, it, I don't want to say those words that every FSU fan is dying to say, because I'm sure they've said it already a thousand times just in the last five days or just in the last two days, really. But like, if this FSU team can keep this up, it's a, they might have a conversation for some ACC hardware. I'm going to reel back that just a little bit as well, too. I mean, I think they have a shot, but I think this is honestly more of an indictment on LSU. Obviously, the blocked PAT that happened, like, that's, I'm not going to say fluky because there's, it still worked out, but it's not something very common. I think how you don't get the ball to Keishon Boutte more than twice, that's poor game planning, poor quarterbacking, honestly. I don't care if he's in college football, you, you have someone that's that talented, you find ways to get him the ball. I just think LSU needs. The Brian Kelly thing and those hype videos that were painful and all of that as well, too. I think too much was put on to be good right away. I don't think they're quite ready yet. They got a lot of retooling to do. And honestly, this just kind of solidifies it for me. 
they sold their soul to the devil for that 2019 championship run. And right now the devil is reaping its rewards. That's the only mm-hmm. thing that I could think of with what's gone on since that point. I just, I just think they need a couple more recruiting classes to get it rolling. Like they always get a couple prospects here, a couple prospects there, but they haven't had like that one dynamite sec recruiting class. It feels like, and defensively, this is not the LSU teams that have been successful the last our majority of our lives going back through Patrick Peterson's days, Tyron Matthew, you, you can go on and on Derek Stingley just throughout them. They've always had really good defenses and solid defensive backs, even Morris Claiborne and guys like that who may not have worked out the next level, but in college were elite. They don't really yeah. seem to have that right now. Nobody on that defense really, especially in the secondary stands out to me like future NFL pick. So I think they just got some, there's some recruiting to do and, I wouldn't be surprised if Kishan Boutte is just sitting like, man, I should just sit out the rest of the year, run a 4-3 during the combine season, and get myself in the first round. And and that's kind of the reason I wanted to start with this one is because after the game, uh, rumors, and by rumors, I mean factual evidence is given, uh, him going on his social media accounts and removing all followings of LSU football, LSU, any commentary about being an LSU football player. Do you think he does sit out the rest of the season? Not right now. Maybe in a few weeks if things continue to get really, really bad. But I think I think he's playing. I think at this point, yeah. he'll play at least five more games minimum. I think you'd have to get like they'd have to be like, oh, and six. And he's like, nah, we're good. But I think I'd be surprised if he doesn't play. Fair enough. All right. So you mentioned defense in there though, and 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 some strong defense, like you know, looking for some strong defenses. Obviously, we could look at the Georgia Oregon game. We're gonna look at that one a little bit later. But I want to go to this Notre Dame Ohio State game. 21-10, Ohio State pulls out the victory in the in the shoe against a top 10 ranked Notre Dame again with a brand new head coach. If you had told Ohio state coming into this game, you'd hold Notre Dame to 10 points. Would Ryan day be happy? Well, yeah. Considering Ohio state's defense is kind of not considering Achilles heel, but it's not the same defenses of chase, chase young, Nick and Joey Bosa, Marshawn Lattimore and Malik cooker, all of those guys. This is clearly an offensive juggernaut of a team. You're saying you hold the 10 points, you're thinking, well, we won by 30 then because you think you're going to score 38, something like that. But then you find out it's 21 to 10. You're like, well, wait a minute. How did we only score 21 points? And I'm going to say this in the weirdest way possible. I know Jackson Smith and Jigba got hurt, so that kind of throws a wrench in it. But they really got Kansas City chiefed is how I look at it from the last couple of years. (laughs) Notre Dame decides, you know what? These two safeties are going to stay 20 yards back. We'll play underneath and uh, dink and dunk your way down the field and kind of took away that explosive element from them and still keyed in on the run. So they made you have to be methodical. And that really threw a wrench into CJ Stroud and that offense's plans. And they CJ Stroud still had a really good game considering the situation. He didn't, he wasn't reckless with the ball. He's his eyes were all over the place. He was trying to make the reads. It's just, they played a really good defense. And what happens the minute they don't play two high safeties, he throws an absolute laser beam over the middle against the safety blitz for the game ceiling touchdown. So I don't think it's an indictment on, on the, on Ohio state at all offensively. I think defensively, it's a little feather in the cap as well, too. Or it's an indictment on Notre Dame's offense. We'll have to see how it goes. But honestly, it's a good win for Ohio State. Anyone, people who are really expecting more, they weren't really paying attention. This game, the spread, the 14 point spread was too high. And I think most people kind of knew that because of what Notre Dame can do defensively. Yeah. And that was kind of going to be my lead in is that, that, that 17 and a half is what it started with, ended up at 14 and a half by the game start um, and 14 on some sports books. Why? Why did any? Why? What did everybody see that maybe we didn't? That thinks that that fourteen point spread was a smart spread to put for this big of a game, a top ten matchup involving teams when they normally have top ten matchups that are very low scoring games. 
I think they just the last time we saw Ohio State, they put on an absolute masterclass offensive performance against Utah, who is a pretty good team in their own right, too. I think people kind of saw that, thought it was going to carry over perfectly to week one of the next season. And they didn't account for Jackson Smith and Jibba going down, too. So I think those two things limited them a little bit. Just Marcus Freeman's a good defensive minded coach. I mean, he -hmm. he knew what he he put together, a good game plan that limited them. They just I think they anticipated scoring more than 10 themselves because that Ohio State defense. It has to, it has some to be desired, at least at this point so far. We still, but it played really, really good that. And I think, honestly, I think Ohio State's gonna be fine. Notre Dame's gonna be fine. I think Ohio State still. Should, I think CJ Stroud. This was a underratedly good game for, because things were not perfect. He hung in there, and when he had to make a play, he threw an absolute laser beam against the blitz. As soon as Notre Dame made a quote unquote mistake or stepped out of character, he made them pay for it. So, in my eyes, it's like. It's a good win for Ohio State. I have nothing really negative to say about it. Hopefully, Jackson Smith and Jibba's okay. And if you're Notre Dame, it's kind of what you expect. You have a new coach. You got a lot of work to do. Brian Kelly just kind of disappeared into the night. It's not going to be a one summer turnaround. So, honestly, not really that surprised. I, it's when I was on the corner booth and Jared's show and we were talking this game. It's exactly kind of what I had going had envisioned as well too. Maybe not the exact score, but a similar type of type of closeness to it. I should say. Yeah, and to your point about CJ Stroud, it's worth noting. Uh, his stat line, two, 24 of 34, only 10 incompletions, 223 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. But I think the most important part is you, you look at the running backs and their stats for this game. Travion Henderson, 15 carries, 91 yards. Mayan Williams, 14 carries, 84 yards and a touchdown. And C.J. Stroud only carrying the ball three times for a yard. So what that tells me is because they're a read option based offense, he was making the right reads on these read options. And that, I think, is a big tell for how he's going to succeed so far in this in this future because, again, you mentioned it. I mean, Notre Dame is a, a, a very well-coached defensive team. They're very sound. If you're making the right reads on those read options, that's going to open up everything. Like, people are going to now look at that and be like, crap, well, now we have to worry about two running backs that can go over 100 yards and C.J. Stroud and this receiving core. Like, I think this is the perfect setup game for Ohio State going into the future matchups. Because I think this might have been the toughest defense they're going to face until Michigan in, in, in reality. I think this is going to be the toughest defense they face. Um, and I, I think it's worth noting that if C.J. Stroud was doing this well against that defense right now, I, I, I'm scared to see what he's going to be doing to, to Michigan at the end of the season. Uh, Ryan Day's hang 100 on somebody might finally come to fruition. I will say, too, I think C.J. Stroud, when people look at him, they automatically think he's more Justin Fields on those read options, where if he can keep it, he can boogie like faster than most other people on the field. Where I see him is more of a upgraded Dwayne Haskins. Like I think he's mm-hmm. more of a passer than a runner. He can move, but he's not like Justin Fields move, who his legs will kill you. His legs are more to extend plays and throw the ball down the field. I could be wrong. I just haven't seen CJ Stroud as that elite runner. So I think those RPOs and those mixing things up as well, too, are really going to help down the stretch to where all right, I'm going to pretend to stick it in Trayvon Henderson. They're going to crash down. Then you can roll off of that and throw like a zig route to a tight end or underneath it, or he can keep it on in short yardage and surprise people. So I I, I like the game plan. I think CJ Stroud could, there's nothing in there that makes me think that teams are no longer trying to quote unquote, get plowed for Stroud. I think he still is in that conversation for that number one QB come draft time. I don't think this did a lot to hinder him, even though we saw Bryce Young put on a clinic against the middle school team. I do think CJ Stroud did more than enough to keep himself, if not number one, like 1A, 1B-ish. Yeah, our, our Utah State fans just cringed as you said that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry out my there. Com- you- my comparison, that's what it looked like. Look, a high school varsity versus the middle school team. Like that's, yeah. And that's not a shot at Utah State. That's just the difference in recruits at this point. No, that's fair. And so now it's worth mentioning, as I talked about, we're going to go back to that Oregon game. And I also want to talk about Utah and Florida as well. In the Pac-12 right now, 
is this the dying embers of the Pac-12? Obviously, in the offseason, we've heard the news about UCLA and USC going to the Big Ten or going to sorry to the Big yeah the Big Ten um, in the future. And like, is this it for the Pac-12? Like, your your hopes ride on Utah and Oregon, which again, nothing not taking anything against them, but perennially speaking, not the two biggest perennial powerhouses in the world. And like right now, that's who your hopes are relying on. Uh, you know. Oregon getting absolutely demolished by Georgia in in what is the ugliest game I've I think I've watched 49 to 3 Bo Nix looked like the reason why Bo Nix left hmm. Auburn and everybody wanted to say it was something else no it's because of this this is the real Bo Nix you just experienced the Bo Nix experience is true whereas you know on the other flip side Utah going up against a tough Florida team loses on a last second touchdown for Florida but like they didn't do enough like you could you could have separated in this game and this is the second straight game we've seen them with a lead blow it at the end of the game. Uh, obviously dating back to last year's bowl game against Ohio State. So I got to ask is this is this the Pac-12 finally dying out or is it is it just they just went up against better teams? Both. The Pac-12 okay. is very as far as competing for a national championship it's pretty much done at this point unfortunately. I just don't see a situation in which I just don't see it. I you saw Oregon competes against a number they're probably going to lose to Georgia. I picked them to win. Foolish me because I thought we were going to get week one Bo Nix, who's always weirdly good in week one and then falls off the cliff. And I thought Georgia might have a little championship hangover. Not at all. And it was, one, as you mentioned, one of the ugliest primetime week one matchups we've seen in a long time. So Oregon, they're out of the conversation. They dropped out of the top 25 altogether after that. They just they don't have the firepower either. They don't have the recruits. And Utah, they are so well coached, and they have some really good players. They just don't have enough X factor type players as well, too. And we saw that with Richardson at quarterback. Some of those plays he's pulling off were, but that happened to me in Madden. I'm throwing my yeah. monitor through a, through a through a window. Like he's an absolute, he's a dynamo playmaker, and that's just kind of the difference you see as well, too. So I don't want to say it's dead. I don't want to say it's gone because sometimes it just takes one elite recruit to flip a program around, and then get a couple others or just one recruiting class. We'll see, especially with the NIL deal. Maybe things change. It's not just everyone going to Alabama. Maybe we'll see if that changes. But for now, I don't. I don't feel good about the Pac-12. Like I really don't feel good about it. I was optimistic with Lincoln Riley going to USC. Maybe he could revitalize it a little bit. You revitalize USC and some of the, those other ones too. But with them leaving now too, I just. I'm not gonna say the towel's being waved, but it's being strapped to a. It's being strapped to a stick right now. Like the white flag is being tied to a stick, and they're get, it's getting ready to be waved. And I don't. They're gonna get a bowl game just the way things work out. Best case scenario is we get them against like an Ohio State team that has people sitting and we get an absolute shootout again. Because we forget Ohio State had multiple players not playing that game too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. So so I, I just you, yeah, it's okay, the it's the it's it's not even the Pac twelve, it's not the Pac Sun, it's the not even the Pac Man. It's just painful at this point as well. There's not a whole lot there's not a whole lot to like about the Pac twelve after week one. Yeah. So you brought up USC and they went up against Rice, absolutely blew out the barn doors against Rice, which is to be expected. If you're USC, you you blow out the barn doors against Rice, and it's 66 to 14. What scares me, looking at the stat line of this, Caleb Williams 19 to 22, 249, two touchdowns. That's no whatever, cool. What scares me is he is their leading rusher as well, with 68 yards on the ground against a Rice team. At you were up 30, what, 32 points? No, sorry, 33 in the second quarter. And so you're running the ball for the rest of it. And none of your other rushers break 50 yards. 
that scares me a little bit. Like they had great averages. Like there's some, there's another 12, 12 carry average. There's a six carry average, a four yard per carry average for Travis Dye, the Oregon transfer, um, 3.2 carry average and two 10 carry averages. But like, it's not good enough. Like you, you, like you, where's, where's the lightning and thunder from USC that can carry you into a tough game. I can't just get be Caleb Williams and, and Addison. Uh, outside like i feel like that's down the road and this is against rice like i'm sorry but it's i know it's maybe i'm overreacting against usc early on but i feel like if your leading rusher is your quarterback it's never bodes well for you down the down the road because it means you can't really close out games unless your quarterback is cam newton who is built like a mac truck you cannot close out those games and caleb williams is not a mac truck He's definitely an agile runner and an athletic runner that can do a lot of those similar things. Similar, not the same as Cam, yeah. but at the same time, I don't want him being my leading rusher. And I could see maybe against Rice, you almost treat it like a preseason game, especially where you're running Manila stuff the whole time. Maybe they're saving some of that for the games that matter. If I'm Lincoln Riley, I'm not running any of my fun plays that they hit them, I, just because I know it's going to be a blowout anyway. But I agree with you. Your best two players are transfers as well. You haven't had a recruiting class, so... USC, I think they have a chance to win the Pac-12 because we saw Oregon and Utah just get walloped early. It could be hard. Well, Oregon get walloped, Utah lose a heartbreaker against a middle-of-the-pack SEC team. That's a game Utah really needs to win for their aspirations. So maybe USC can make a push on name brand and that sort of thing. But it's once again, I don't I don't see a whole lot coming out of this one. So maybe they maybe they make a run for the Pac-12 championship, but they're far they're a far cry away from being a contender. And by the time they're contender, they're gonna be in the Big Ten or the large 12 or whatever they call it at that point the the supersized midwest conference plus two <laughs> two western two west coast teams <laughs> plus two vacations a week uh yeah um all right so that does that does bring up the question then is it is it just a three-horse race for the college playoff college football playoff like you look at ohio state you look at bama you look at georgia it feels like they're a notch above everybody else is there a, do you think that these guys are gonna gonna just gonna run away with it, or is it? Are, are you, can you see a dark horse potentially coming up and, and upsetting one of these guys? I'm racking my brain here, and I'm trying to think. Like Arkansas has a far cry chance, I think, because I do think they have dynamic. They have a lot of dynamicism on offense. I do think that have, at quarterback they do have something similar to Cam Newton, where you can get a little bit of both, if that makes sense. Like yeah, the ability, KJ to, Jefferson, yeah, yeah, like with like he can give you a little bit of both, like as an athlete. He can kill you with his legs and his arm. And at last year, they led the SEC in takeaways, which I think was underrated. They, they'll they have to replicate that again. But I think with KJ Jefferson taking a little bit of that next step, and if some other receiver can fill the role of Traylon Burks and even extend on that, maybe an outside chance just because when you force takeaways, good things can happen. But other than that, I mean, LSU is not really a threat. Florida, with Richardson, you always have a chance. He has that almost Johnny Manziel in college factor where he could just snap his fingers and make magic happen. But it's really hard to think 60 minutes going against that Georgia defense and anybody that could step up to it and make the plays or anybody for 60 minutes defensively can slow down Bryce Young in that offense. Like It's really hard to picture somebody besides those three. I mean, I feel like it's truly a three-horse team because Clemson's not scaring anybody. Defensively, they're fine, but that offense, we'll see. Without, It's not the same, It's not quite the days of Deshaun Hunter, Renfro, Mike Williams, or Trevor Lawrence, Justin Ross, and those guys. It's a it's a new era, and offensively, it's not so pretty. Maybe defensively, they could scrape it out, but it's hard to see if they're even a favorite for the, for the ACC at this point. So, honestly, I really can't think of it. I'm trying maybe Michigan, but at the same time, like, 
I, I don't, you lost way too much talent defensively, even though you're still good defensively. So I really can't think of anybody. I really think it is a three horse race at this point. Just nobody stands out to me where it's like they have that something, something, whether it's defensively coaching or like an X factor on offense. Like there's nobody that has enough of that to really counteract it. Maybe if you combined USC, Utah, Oregon, and Florida with a little bit of Arkansas, put all those together, we might be able to have something, but it's a, yeah. it's just a far cry. You know, it's, it's funny you mentioned Arkansas. They, 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 they have a competitive chance, obviously. Um, I think the biggest, the only way that it's not one of these three teams is if Michigan can somehow pull off some magic, Auburn somehow pulls off some magic against both Georgia and Alabama because they're not going to beat it. Like, honestly, Auburn, like, as much as I wish I could be like, oh, yeah, Auburn's going to run the SEC. No, I'm, I'm not going to lie about it. Um, they're rebuilding right now. But if they can pull off some magic, I guess one of the two, and then let's say Florida pulls off magic against Georgia, maybe there's some reshuffling to be said. Maybe Florida does sneak in. Uh, I don't think they're strong enough. I don't think they're a strong enough opponent. I think out of pure just strength on the on the field, I feel like it's these three. Uh, I do say Florida State has a chance for that that fourth spot, mostly because there's nobody else. <laughs> it feels like it's it feels like this might be a year we either get a Florida State team or Clemson team that just doesn't really like. They didn't play anybody, and they're here. Um, or a third SEC team, or maybe even a second Big Ten team, and we see a two Big Ten, two SEC matchup in the college football playoff, and, and like a Michigan, Ohio State situation, like where the only loss for Michigan is Ohio State, or the only loss for Ohio State is Michigan potentially, um, just because they do have that two-headed monster at quarterback. I don't, I don't really know how to deal with that, McNamara, McCarthy. I don't, I don't know how well that's going to work out down the road. Um, but that offensive line or the defensive line, I do think actually maybe got better uh, after losing Aiden Hutchinson. I don't know why, but like their interior defensive line is better than last year. And they're like, yeah, it just, they look good on paper, but again, that's on paper. And in the first week, we'll see if that continues. Um, they still have to beat Ohio state and, and, you know, Wisconsin and all those guys as well. So we'll have to see. I, I, yeah, I, I as far as the dark horse goes, if I'm going to hang my hat on anybody, I say maybe a dark horse goes to Florida State just for being just sheer competitors. But I don't think they're strong enough to beat any of these guys. But I think on a right day, if let's say they catch a Georgia team who's injured, Stetson Bennett doesn't look like Stetson. Stetson Bennett goes back to looking like the mailman Stetson Bennett and not <laughs> the SEC championship, you know, national championship winner, potential Heisman Trophy candidate this season type of guy that he looked like in, the, in week one. Like, if they can catch him on that day, and then maybe they catch the winner of the Ohio State Bama game on an injury plague, like maybe. But I, yeah, it's it's a it's a very very dark horse there. That's like a outside shot there. But I do think Michigan maybe has the best best shot to be a, to be a contender um, out of anybody really. A team that I think it'd be I'm not predicting them to do this, and I don't think it will happen. But I'm looking at the Big Twelve. And you got some ranked teams like you got Baylor and Oklahoma State and Oklahoma all in the top eleven, but none of those teams really—I don't say don't scare me because that's kind of cliche—but like Baylor's they, they don't. good, Oklahoma State's good, but they're not great. Oklahoma's—I'm surprised they're ranked seventh, honestly. I mean, I think just with the amount of tur- flipping that happened in this offseason, I'm curious to see how they go. One weird team, and it all depends on how this week goes. I'm wondering what Texas is able to pull off this year because you got Quinn Ewers who. It was a top quarterback prospect, and it yeah, took number one DJ Stroud beating him out, really, who is now projected to be a number one overall pick. Quinn Ewers looked pretty good in week one. I mean, it wasn't a, I mean, Louisiana Monroe, who cares? You got Bijan Robinson, probably the best running back in college football. 
You still got some pretty good recruits like on the outside of Texas. You got some players. Sarkeesian is a really good offensive coach. They play Alabama this week, so we're going to find out really quick if this is just absolute blasphemy or if they can hang. I don't think they're going to beat Alabama. I don't think anybody does. But I think if they can hang, and then let's say they win the Big 12 the rest of the way, which includes beating an Oklahoma that's good, that's top 10 right now, what Baylor is top 10 and Oklahoma State is 11, maybe an outside shot for the Longhorns that like to creep into that fourth spot. if They can, they got to win the Big 12, though, and they got to win it probably convincingly. And you can't get 52 to 10 against Alabama. you got to find yeah gotta find a way to make it like – 50 to 38 or something like you got to be able to score with them. Cause I think Quinn Ewers has a lot of talent that I think people might forget. I'm not saying he's Trevor Lawrence, but I think he's got some game and Bajon Robinson is as dynamic as a running back in the country. Yeah. There's a reason he was the number one overall quarterback in the class when he came in. Um, Quinn Ewers. And he also, by the way, highest NIL deal uh, received the highest NIL recipient so far. Um, and so he is, he has earned his money twice over. Uh, we'll we'll have to we'll see if he can earn it on the field now, but I think I think I kept overlooking Texas because of this Bama game this weekend. I don't know how that's going to go. Uh, that worries me when you face Bama this early in the season and you didn't look super convinced. Like you look good, but you didn't look amazingly convincing. Like it wasn't a fifty-five-zero for Texas. You know, it was like, oh well, okay, hmm. good job. So um, but, you know, we'll see. it's a very outside shot, but nobody else in the Big 12 I really worries me. Like Oklahoma, I have to see it to believe it at this point because it feels like they're rebuilding. I like Venables as the new head coach. I like what he brings defensively. But, I mean, you haven't recruited defense in like 10 years with Lincoln Riley and Stoops. Like you have not recruited a defender. So you got to – there's a lot to undo in all the transfers and stuff. So just somebody out of the Big 12, I'm going to look at Texas to keep an eye on for like a far outside. I want to put $5 down and win 400 so sort of bet something like that as well too. So. That's who I'm no. keeping my eye out on. But as you said, it's a three-person race for the most part. It's compete for four. Maybe you get lucky on any given Saturday. Yeah, it's going to be tough to see. But, well, I mean, obviously, we'll keep keep an eye on this as the season continues. Because who knows? There's always a team that somehow sneaks their way through if a Bama or Georgia falters. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see uh, how this one goes for sure. And we'll have to keep an eye on that Heisman race, too, to see what comes out of that one. Because very rarely do we see the preseason favorite end up being the postseason winner. So I'm curious to keep an eye on that as well, too, see if maybe – Someone makes a sneaky run to that playoff spot and wins a Heisman because of it as well, too, a la Joe Burrow a few years ago or something along, along those lines as well. So a couple of things for us to keep an eye out on. A lot more college football to come, and we look forward to it. Well, that will do it for our main event, which is going to take us into Kelsey's favorite part of every segment. That is Crunch Time, brought to you by our friends at Run Your Pool. Click the link in our bio. Join our Survivor League pool. Pick your team. Find the best one standing at the end of the year. We'll be up for some really cool prizes from us as well, too. So it's free to join. Jump in there and uh, see if you can outdo us as far as the Survivor League for the NFL season. You only got a little bit of time left to join. Go ahead and jump in there as well. So, Kelsey, it's crunch time. I know something's on your mind right now, too. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass the floor off to you. Tell me what's going through your brain right now. Women's sports right now. And it's actually a good thing. A lot of good things have. Well, kind of sad things as well. First of all, I'm going to start with Sue Bird, Serena Williams, retiring both within the last five days. Two goats in their respective sports. And I just want to say this. They did it so you don't have to do it. I don't want to see another Serena Williams. I don't want to see another Sue Bird. I want to see the next Sabrina Ionescu. I want to see the next Coco Goff. I don't want to see you guys try to be the next Serena and the next Sue Bird. I want them to create their own path going forward for the next female superstars. And I say that because we see it far too many times in the male sports. I want to be Mike. I want to be, you know, Troy Aikman. I want to be Joe Montana. Like, I don't want that to happen in the women's game where you feel the need to 
to fight through all the same battles that Serena Williams or Sue Bird fought through. I want to see women's sports have their own group of three, group of four ghosts that you talk about as potentially being the best overall in their sport. I mean, because you can, you can have that. Like, I think there's a Diana Taurasi conversation. There's a Sue Bird conversation in, in, in basketball. But there's not really in, in tennis. I'm sorry. It's going to be Serena Williams. It's kind of forever the GOAT in tennis, men's or women's. Um, but on top of that, I also have to shout out the U.S. Soccer Federation, U.S. Women's National Team, U.S. Men's National Team. They finally sl- signed the collective bargaining agreement, the historic collective bargaining agreement, becoming the first soccer-playing country to have equal benefits for both men's and women's soccer going forward. And that's all across the world. Um, they struck the deal back in May. They finally signed the contract two days ago after the Nigeria game. Absolutely fantastic to see. So we're seeing some huge growth in women's sports, and it's like, it's finally time. Like, finally we're seeing it. And along with that, we're seeing some goats retire. So it's kind of a sad time for some women's sports going forward. But you know what? I can't wait to see what's next for the next great superstars in both basketball and, you know, whether it be tennis or whatever arena we see next. We see the next great women's athlete come out of. Absolutely. It's always great to reminisce on the barriers that were broken down and the barriers that are shattered and looking forward to see future barriers that come down as well too. And hopefully there's not too many more to come down. Hopefully it's, there's not barriers in the way as well. We're getting at that as well too. So it's always good to sad, sad to see them go, but it's awesome to remember what they have done and what they've pulled off as well too. So that's, that's absolutely outstanding. And hopefully it's only, it's only up from here. It's just getting started too. So I definitely look forward to that for me for crunch time. I'm going to keep it nice and quick. And we're going to go to kind of a similar topic. We're going to go to a sport that encompasses men and women. We're going to go to the octagon. This main event, not a title fight. We got Kamzat Shemaev taking on Nate Diaz, a fan favorite. His final fight in the UFC by the sounds of it as well, too. All the money is on is on Kamzat. He's like a plus seven, minus 700 favorite. It's absolutely ridiculous. Go ahead and put $5 on Nate Diaz. This is the type of fight where he randomly pulls it out as well, too. Chances are he will get, it's not going to go his way, but Nate Diaz has a weird way of pulling things off at that from the jaws defeat. So I'm looking forward to seeing that one as well, too. And of course, Leon Edwards with the head kick heard around the world a couple weeks ago. We didn't talk too much about that because of football predictions, but what an incredible last minute win. It doesn't get any better than that as well, too. But that will do it for this episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. We'll see you guys next week after the first week of the NFL has concluded. We'll see you guys next week. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 